Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Service Monster Podcast. I'm your host today, Joe Kowalski. We've got a handful of really fun things to talk about. Of course, we're going to touch on some of the server issues we had uh, a couple times over the last two days, affecting about 20 users, 30 users, um, from what our reports are saying. So we'll touch on that real quick if you're one of the users, and you'll get the benefit even if you're not experiencing major latency of uh, some of the changes that we made. We'll talk about mobile, where we're all with that um, release coming up there. Uh, Service Monster 6.51 is on the way. We touched on that last week. We probably won't dive too deep into there. Um, and uh, But before we do all of that, Adam, what are we talking about today? Yeah, so we kind of in our podcast discussion, and we're kind of going over, you know, might be a good time to talk about just some, you know, KPIs, important KPIs for service businesses. And if you guys don't know, I'm sure most of you guys do. KPI is just referencing, you know, key performance indicators. It's a big thing that we talk about, you know, from time to time. Joe has had, you know, various ask service monsters about that. We've had blog posts about it um, and so on. But since the new 6.5 dashboards um, that came out uh, over the last couple of months, we figured we could kind of segue kind of both of those together. So let's just kind of dive in and I guess kind of talk about what we think the most important KPIs are and how you can track them, whether it's with Service Monster, whether it's you know somewhere else, um, and then why it's important to be tracking those. So um, let's kind of start with the uh, repeat rate. So, I mean, it's kind of obvious right there in the name, but what are we talking about with repeat rate here, Joe? Um, well, it, it's more complicated than it sounds, but the general idea is how much of your clients are coming back to you and using you again. Um, there's an incorrect way to calculate it, which I feel is suffered by the vast majority of people who don't study statistics. They'll take a month's worth of work. They'll look at the numbers. They'll see how many clients they did and how many of those clients were new clients. Then they'll divide those two numbers together, getting a percentage, and they think that's the repeat rate. That is not your repeat rate. That is the amount of work you did that month that happened to be by returning clients. It actually doesn't mean a damn thing. Here's an example that points it out. Let's say that um, on an average month, you pull in 50 new clients, and you're pretty consistent with 50 clients coming back to you on a regular basis within a one month period of time. So you might look at that and say, well, shit, I got a 50% repeat rate. All right, we're just going to stick a pin in that, okay? Um, let's say that you run a really amazing marketing month, though. You do some campaign that really just blows things up. And instead of 50, that month you get 100. Now, your repeat rate goes from 50% to 30%. Well, that's bad, right? So this points out a very problematic um, calculation in that the better you do on the sales side, the worse it looks like you're doing on the repeat side. So not only does it not mean anything, but if you're making decisions based off it, you're making the wrong decisions. <clears throat> Let's flip it. Let's say that. Um, one month your prospecting is horrible. Nobody comes back to you, not even those 50. But you had those 50 clients return to you that month. 100% repeat rate, baby. Wait, wait, something's not right. 
Okay, so obviously that's a problem. That's a problem calculation. That's a problem if you're making decisions. There's a problem if you think that's your repeat rate. Here's the real repeat rate. You have to take a period of time. Usually we say for the service industry, it's about two years. If you're strictly air duct, okay, maybe three or four. Tile and grout, if you do that primarily, maybe three. Carpet cleanings, two. Maid services should be every month uh, if you get a regular client. So this calculation I'm going to give you can be adjusted for the length of time, but the rest of it remains the same. And so what you do is you take all of the clients who've used you in the last two years, you subtract off the people who've used you in the last six months, doesn't really give them time to repeat, right? So it's going to bring your number down a little bit. And then you take that entire list and you ask the system out of this list, who has ever used us more than once? That gives you a much more accurate repeat rate. It might not be apples to apples to your next door neighbor who might be doing a little bit longer. Maybe they're doing a 36 month, but it will be apples to apples for you, which is what's important. That's a, that's the biggest misconception about data sometimes is that people look at the single data point and then they want to argue it all day long. Okay. Some of those arguments might even be valid. Um, what's more critical though, is making sure that you derive the same number, the same way at different periods of time. And you're comparing the two. That's the more beneficial metric because that way it gives you, if you're moving the needle, so you can argue about the data all you want. I don't give a shit about that. I care about the movement. I care about the change. And so as long as you're consistent with the two data points, then it's fine. So calculating repeat rate, take all the customers that have used you between six months ago and 24 months ago, ask the system, how many of those have ever used you more than once, do a little percent math, divide the two numbers up, come up with a decimal, multiply by 100, and that's the repeat rate that you want to target on and focus on and watch as you make changes in your client retention program to help you improve your repeat rate. Now, I, I have a chart. I've done massive amounts of blog and posts and social media content, and Michael's gone back after me to pick it all up sometime later and do another post and another, like we talk about this a lot, so I won't dive into it too much, but I'll sum up the comparison. I usually do this way. Company A, company B, all metrics are the same. The only difference is repeat rate. Company A has a repeat rate of 25%. Company B has a repeat rate of 60%. In eight years, company B is a million dollar business. In eight years, company A is exactly where they were at before at around 200,000. No growth. So that's why repeat rate is important. At the end of the day, it's the only way to scale. It's the only way to grow your business. It's the only way to get more clients so you can get off the truck and grow your business to the point where you can leave it in charge with other competent people while you go sit on a beach somewhere. So repeat rate, repeat rate, repeat rate. Yeah, and it's a huge kind of, uh, you know, indicator if you're running a transactional style service business or if you're actually building that relationship which is another thing that we talk about you know ad nauseum here um, you want to be building those relationships for a long time because i mean any marketer i'm sure michael can kind of chip in any marketer who's worth their salt is constantly going to be harping the fact that it's much cheaper to be retaining your current client base than to gain a new one yeah. So, well, yeah, and they're more profitable, yeah. right? The marketing um, cost is almost nothing. 
even if you have a solid client retention strategy where you're sending out direct mail, you're doing email, you're spending money on newsletters or content, <clears throat> the cost of getting in the door, right, of acquiring a lead and then going through that that uh, little dance where you're making a couple phone calls or you go out and do the estimate, none of those costs are present the second time around. The job is so much more profitable on those repeats. Um, so yeah, do it. Like if you don't have a cons- consistent client retention strategy, shame on you. And now in the event of COVID, if you're not doing a client retention program or you're not keeping track of your customers or you don't have a customer list you can easy reach out to them on, you're going to lose. Because what's going to happen is all of the service monster people, and this is, this is you know, service monster specific a little bit here, but you can use any CRM. Those who are using the 35% of the industry who's using a CRM, they're going to be contacting all their clients here in about three days. And they're going to be like, open for business. Now, a lot of you guys didn't close down, but the point is, is that your clients don't know that. I'm getting DMs all the time from people like, oh, what kind of a mass email should I send out to let people know that I'm, you know, I'm open for business. And it's like three clicks of a button, you put together a little content, boo, you're done. If you're not tracking your clients, and if you don't have a client retention strategy, you're going to lose, man. It's just, that's it. Like Everybody's going to call somebody else because you're not staying in touch and you're not communicating. So in this rare situation, there might be a benefit to a one-time reach out campaign, like one direct mail. Um, but, you know, I, I would just be very, I would be very conscious of the fact that if you don't have something in place, you better do it now because we're seeing an increase in our lead acquisition. The cost of leads are going down. More people are buying CRM. That's pretty cool for us. Like I expected this shit to happen seven years ago until 10 years ago. But what that really means, the people who aren't playing that game, they're going to get crushed because now if it's goes 45, 50, 55% are using a CRM, they will hand you your ass if you're not, if you're still using pen and paper. Um, obviously rural Nebraska, right? If you've been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years and you're on pen and paper, will you see a difference? There will be anecdotally people who don't, but the vast majority of people who are getting systematized are just going to start running over everyone who's still using pen and paper. So client retention strategy, client retention programs, client retention, client retention. And that really, really, in order to do it right, you really need a decent CRM. Yep. This also kind of ties into what we talked about last week as far as, you know, loyalty. Um, and if you're not, you know, constantly you know, building that relationship for, you know, years at a time, that's where that those loyal customers are really going to kind of show up. And you'll have the ones that are buying gift cards or things like that during an issue with like with COVID-19 where, hey, you know, everyone or I shouldn't say everyone, but certain areas were, you know, completely locked down. They couldn't do anything, you know. For the governor's orders so their loyal kind of customer base is like listen I, I i still want you to be around when we come out of this so i'm going to purchase something now we'll do the work later so or just, just give them of, money like we talked about last time exactly yeah so before we move on we'll just really quickly what's kind of like a a, a good target um i mean it'll vary a little bit by industry um like you said but as far as like your repeat rate targets what should uh kind of the average user be looking for to feel like they're doing a successful job. Yeah. So, you know, they have, there's a couple of buckets that I can see like zero to 15% tells me you suck at your job. You have no client retention strategy and you're not um, very good at what you do. Like you're all about the transaction. You're all about the buck. You're probably, you know, one bam, one shot. Thank you, man. Uh, You're, 
value cleaner, like or even a price shopper cleaner, right? You're not going to be around for very long because you're not making the margins. You're not doing the growth. It's just, you're coming gone. Most people, if they show up on time and they follow the service providers motto, we've talked about that before, um, they shouldn't have a hard time hitting 25% organically without any retention strategies. So if you're 115%, then check your business model, like repeat is not your thing. Um, so that that's a whole other game. 16 to 30%, um, I see people who have decent businesses. They talk to Mrs. Jones very well. Um, they're well-liked. Again, though, they're either doing no client retention or it's like largely inconsistent. They do one hit wonders a couple times a year, um, but they're not really focused on it. They don't have a strategy, a plan, a path. Um, you can get to 30% just on your good looks and a smile, but that is not like we talked about before. That's a company A scheme. It means you're going to make $150,000 to $200,000 and you're going to be stuck. And that's it. You're just going to sit there. Um, 31 to 50%, you see things like consistent generic mailings, like newsletters, just spamming stuff out. Um, maybe a decent email campaign that's got some decent content. Maybe you're staying in front of them via Facebook. But it, again, it's not super consistent. It's usually generic. You've hired, hired a third party to do stuff. You can get to 50% that way. But again, service provider's motto has to be top notch. You know, smell good, look good. You're super clean. You call, you show up on time. You know, you let you, the communication level is super high. You under promise and over deliver. Um, you can do that without a consistent or specific retention strategy, uh, but it's much more hard and all cylinders have to be firing. 51 to 80%, I have seen it as high as 80%, um, client retention. These guys are all about client retention. They live it, they breathe it. They know that staying in front of their customers is the biggest way to profitability. Um, they're really focused on it. They have specific mailers. They're addressing the client. They're, um, the content is of value to the client. It's not just a pitch. And so um, we've we've seen that for 12 years or better since we've been doing Fill My Schedule. So Fill My Schedule is a very specific, pointed, um, targeted direct mail campaign. It's completely automated based off the last date of invoice. And it's an automated client retention program. Gets 800% nationwide ROI. And I'm excited by that. I like to talk about that. But it isn't because we're like super geniuses or anything. It's because we do it. And we do it for our clients every single month. The thank yous go out every single week. And so um, you can do a fill my schedule type program on your own. And uh, we've, we're very open about that content. You can even just steal the, the campaign that we have, you know, if you want to do it on your own. No, no problem with that. But that's what it takes to get to that level. Anything over 80% is kind of like urban myth, urban myth uh, legends that you know, unreproducible outliers. Um, I think I've only seen above 80% one time. Obviously, I don't look at every single client's repeat rate. So there might be some people out there that I just haven't seen or been exposed to. But I do look at data a lot. I probably, in this industry, I've probably seen more data points for, um, for clients than any other person in the industry. Um, and I've only seen like 82% one time. And I don't even tell you who it is. <laughs> um, and it was, you know, it's a mix. It's that attitude of client retention is all 
combined with maybe some isolated geographic area and and not only the service miters provado um, not service providers motto, but you're just taking those extra, extra steps and you're really working hard in your community and you're all about service and hell, maybe you're even doing some Ronald McDonald houses once in a while. So, um, the only time ever, ever seen it. And it was short lived, short lived. Um, it was just lasted for like a year or two. And before it went down to the normal kind of 65, 70% high, very high retention rate, but, um, normal for them. So, yeah. Yeah, and this is something that uh, you can easily see now. We we put a dashboard right on the new homepage on Service Monster 6.5. So you can see both your residential and your commercial kind of repeat rate. It's also on on your account screen. So if for some reason you prefer one of the older um, homepages, version 1.0 or 1.1, you can still see that on the account to dashboard as well. So, Yeah, I mean, obviously we're talking, I'm really focused th- through this whole conversation mostly on residential. I mean, you should have built-in mechanisms for repeating with commercial, even if you're going quarterly. Um, and so your repeat on your commercial account should be extremely high. I mean, and and made services repeat rates should be extremely high. So let's move off repeat rate though, man. And we beat this so much all the time. And it's always good to revisit. It's always good to revisit. And you guys might pull out some new information, um, you know, from our conversation here, but we do talk about it quite a bit. But it is the most important one. So if we're going to talk about KPIs, we do have to lead with that. So what's the next one? So the next one is total market potential. Um, So Mm -hmm. it's not strictly a KPI, um, but uh, kind of just knowing. Yeah, because you can do a lot of stuff with this number. Um, Okay, so total market potential, what is it? It's, uh, again, we're focused on the data point, not the specifics of how the data is derived, which means that it's an estimated count of your potential market. So um, you can use Info USA, which is a really good um, data acquisition tool. Um, you can pay for client data and you know addresses and phone numbers and all that stuff. Obviously you can't do a do not call. So I wouldn't be calling or doing cold calls based off that unless it was a commercial because um, they, they don't have the same restrictions. But Info USA allows you to obtain this number for free. So what you can do is go there, draw a little circle around your the area that you're willing to service. So obviously, if it's two hours away, you know, that's not going to be part of your demographic. And then you can dial in on specific uh, data points. So what you're looking for probably are 25 to 55 year old home owning females with kids and or pets and a certain dollar amount on their home, which is focusing and narrowing your focus on a specific demographic in your market. So if you don't know what that is, you can actually use your current clients as a measure. Take your current clients and study, maybe do an Excel spreadsheet or something or pro- custom profile fields and start playing with that and then start looking at those clients and who are your best clients, like your top 10%. Um, and then you want to get as many of those as possible. And so you kind of figure out what are the common metrics, where they work, worship a play, how much is their home worth and they're in the specific uh, neighborhoods within your community once you've done that in info usa that'll come up with a number just picking out of a hat let's say it's the number comes out as ten thousand. so that's the kpi total marketable base ten thousand. you have a potential customer base if you got every single potential client in your community 100 you'd have ten thousand clients so what does that number mean Because just that by itself, again, doesn't mean anything. A single data point doesn't mean anything. 
here's some stuff that I find fascinating. At 1% of your total marketable base, if you own that, let's say your, your client count, the number of clients you service in the last two years, uh, off this 10,000 is uh, 100 people, 1,000 people, 10,000 people, right? So these are factors. Um, at 1%, you know, you start to get in a little bit of referrals. You start to see that, that train kicking in, especially if you're pitching it. Um, referral marketing is the name of the game, but you have to have enough clients in the community to start the process. At 10%, that 1% is just kind of a gimme, right? It's just like, I've got some clients and now they might start talking if I do right. But the, but the interesting thing that I've noticed over these last 17 years is at 10%. So in this case, out of 10,000, you have a thousand clients. If you've done your referral marketing correctly, and it doesn't mean giving away money, we've talked about that before too. Um, but if you get a thousand clients, it is possible to uh, get all new lead acquisition from referrals that you're not actually doing any kind of lead acquisition or outreach. Um, is it a good idea for some people, depending on how much they really want to grow and, and move, maybe they're not ambitious. Uh, maybe their ambitions aren't aligned with a $5 million cleaning company. So, um, so that's what I look at. If you know your total marketable base, then you know how much potential you have for growth. And then how do you tackle that? And then how do you get the 1%? And then how do you get the 10%? And how much of that is referral marketing? So those things mixed together make for a very powerful client acquisition. So we talked about repeat rate, right? Getting clients to come back to you. That's always your best source of jobs is your current client base. But then lead acquisition, which is really focused on referrals. You have to have enough referrals in your community of your demographic to generate more referrals. So that's kind of the umbrella of that. So go to Info USA and play with it. Now, I have had some people hit me up in the DM like, "What? Do, why did you make me do that, dude? I have a total marketable base of 1,500 people. I thought I was going to have a million-dollar business. As, as it turns out, it's absolutely impossible for me to do more than 150 grand or 200 grand a year. And I go, now you know. <laughs> you know, move or do something else or figure out something that reaches a larger area of your market. Um, but having the data, yeah, that's half the battle. Yeah. I mean, if someone was asking me that probably something you'd want to know really before you started the, the business. So I, <laughs> uh, this is a kind of a peek behind the curtain, but, um, I am looking within the next year or two to move into my investment phase of my life where I'm going to start looking at other businesses. I want to help prop up probably not a service business guys. Don't get excited. Um, and so I've been, I've been in the VC community as an angel investor, just kind of hanging out and talking to people now for about two years. Um, not looking for money for service monster, by the way, don't get excited. Um, it is hard to give away money. It is hard to give away money. And I don't mean like the physical act, obviously. I mean, I have yet in two years to find any business I'd be willing to invest in. Because I asked them four questions that they should absolutely know the freaking answer to, and they haven't got a clue. And one of the questions I would ask a service provider if I was so inclined is, what's your total marketable base? What is your potential business here? 
and almost nobody knows it. And that's just a huge red flag for me. So know it. You know, like these numbers, you need to know. These KPIs, you need to know. Know them. If you don't have a CRM or you don't have these tools, like figure out a way to do it. Do it through Excel spreadsheets. Sit up at night and enter in your invoices and nukes. I don't care, but know these numbers. Absolutely. And you know, just for all of you guys and, and gals that were listening, there's there's two things he's talking about there um, that kind of got merged into one conversation. So total potential is you know if you had 100% everyone that you, you could possibly have, and then the total marketable base is who you currently have. Um, yes. Active clients in your database, and we actually have a really Probably easy help if way. I was going through the blog as I was saying. <laughs> well, the the uh, in Service Monster, there's a really easy way for you to see that. Um, fill my schedule already had your total marketable base, and it was tied to you know your active clients who also had a mailing address. Because that's a pretty important part. If if you're looking at marketable base for a specific type of marketing, you want to be able to have that. We actually added that with six point five. On the accounts section, um, the account list, there are views now. So you can see your marketable base with email addresses, your marketable base with phone numbers, your marketable base with ad with uh, with the street addresses. So if you're planning a particular type of marketing campaign, all three of those will kind of show you what that is. You can easily export it out and kind of go from there, or you know, obviously use that to build a marketing campaign within Service Monster. So. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking through the blog now and like, holy crap, we did this like four years ago and I'm almost verbatim on all this stuff. <laughs> <It's> so weird. <laughs> you are. I actually was like, I thought you were kind of reading it along. I just too. pulled I it like, up. I was like, wow, he's like repeating it word for word. That's impressive. But I mean, you wrote it, so. Yeah, well, I, four years sense. ago, but yeah. Well, it's an interesting but, thing with important concepts is that a lot of times you do have to kind of repeat that and kind of dive back in and joe we always talk about right like we're smarter than we were back then so what can we add on top of that and it you know it's not the end of the world to have these discussions again because they are important that's the reason why we discuss them totally what's next what's next uh this one is a fun one to talk about um talk about pricing a lot but average invoice yeah and i'm gonna dogpile on this one because four years ago we did not have margins so I want to merge this conversation. In 6.5, we gave you a margins dashboard so you can figure out what the profitability is of your jobs. You're close to it. Again, right? It, oh, my juice went up five bucks and now my margins are shit. No, it's a 0.5% difference. Like it, what's important is that you're in the ballpark and you're comparing them, okay? So average invoice, um, pretty self-explanatory, although you want to do separate it between commercial and residential. And if you provide a wide variety of services, if you do carpet cleaning and tile cleaning and window cleaning and pressure washing and maid services and restoration work, you probably want to leave the restoration work off to the side when you average out your invoices. Uh, cause you know, those are going to be seven to $20,000 averages where your cleaning invoices are going to sit somewhere in the $250 range. Um, in, in, unless you're a commercial fleet pressure washer and you're going to be pulling in a couple grand. Um, again, it's all over the map, but what's important is that you know it, you know what it is, um, and you know that when you do things that affect it, does it go up or down? Using your average invoice in concert with your margins is important because if you increase your average invoice, but your expenses stay the same, your profitability gets 
more and you put more money into the business. It's really that simple. Too many people are skating on thin margins and they don't even fully realize it. The depreciation on your equipment, the chemical costs um, that you have, the consumable costs of your materials that you have, like booties get thrown away and gloves get thrown away and masks get thrown away, that kind of stuff. Um, and then, of course, the big part of your expenses is going to be labor for the most part. So taking those three things into account, figuring out what your average expenses on each job and then being able to margin that out is really important if you want to grow and survive. Too many people will look at that and go, oh, man, I'm only making 20 bucks off every hundred dollars. That 20 percent margin is killing you. You're not able to get off the truck or grow or put money into other places. So that's why knowing what your average invoice is, working hard to make that go north and then controlling your expenses um, to the point where you're, you know, you're making sure you're spending money in the right places. The goal is never not to spend money, <laughs> right? It's not like, oh, that labor cost. I think I can hire cheaper people. No, that's the wrong way to cut that apple. You've got to increase your price so you can give more to your technician so you have a more stable employment environment so that you can actually build a company culture. Then when you start to do scale and volume, those percentages make big differences on the bottom line. So tracking your average invoice is important. Knowing what your margins are, super important. Making sure you're charging enough is the name of the game there. Yeah, the thing you touched on there at the end, I think is something that gets miss kind of read a lot of times when you're just solely focused on the numbers. I was actually reading an article, both Michael and I were, um, this guy, uh, he has an HVAC company in uh, California and his turnover was just massive. Um, there was already a shortage um, in, in this country as far as um, certain skilled labor positions. So, you know, especially as you go up into plumbing, you know, electrician work and so on. But I mean, sure, with COVID-19, it's a little bit different environment. There'll probably be more people who are looking um, for work after this. Um, but if you find a way to have those quality technicians, you're taking care of them, so they're taking care of you. They're the face of your, your service business, and they're the ones who are doing that, that work for you. And there are things you can do, not even just tied to you know, direct salary, but there are things you can do to kind of you know, showcase that. And so um, obviously, Stopping turnover is just kind of one of those things. Um, before we move on, just really quick, Joe, um, what are just some some ways that maybe you could improve that average invoice? Um, there's only a few ways that you can get more money, right? Um, you can raise your prices. You can do more service. You can get more customers. So that's that's the three ways essentially that marketers will say, this is the only way you can get more money. Do more services for a current client, raise your prices on those services and or get more clients. So obviously get more clients. We talked about that already. Um, raising your prices is a real thing. Um, and you don't even have to do it bigly. Right? You can do a 10% or 15% increase a year. Most people won't notice um, on a $200 invoice, the extra 20 or 30 bucks. If they do, then you can have a conversation with them like, you know, yeah. I'm a real business. I have expenses to take care of and, and you've been supporting me this whole time. So that's great. Or raise it 15% and give Mrs. Jones a 10% discount, right? If you want to keep them because they're really bitching. But, um, and then of course, the other way is to make sure that you're offering all the services to your client so that they are aware of them. And this doesn't like gold chain salesmen trying to upsell or hard, but it 
it does look at the, the number one problem besides not following the service provider motto is client retention for most service providers. The number two problem is your customers don't know all the products and services that you offer because you do a horrible job communicating that. Not only does it, is it not you're in your direct mail or your email or the communication that's non-existent, but it's also not present in the conversation. She's got tile in the kitchen, man. What are you doing? That couch looks a little ruffled. So you want to be of service. So the way that I would do this is pretty simple. Instead of coming in and doing an estimate and focused on what Mrs. Jones want, you turn it into an inspection where you focus on what Mrs. Jones wants. And then you go through like a pro and have her walk you through the house and looking around and making notes and mm -hmm, mm -hmm, very nice, very interesting, fascinating. And and you're looking all over the place and, all right, Mrs. Jones, what, again, uh, this is what you called us for. This is what you want us to do, right? Yeah. Okay. I did notice on the inspection though, there's a handful of things are kind of critical. It's like your, your automobile, um, your mechanic does this, right? Here's some stuff that's critical. Like you, I, I would really not want to see you drive off the lot until we fix these things. These things you can wait on if you really want to, where I can knock them out now, but it's going to need to be done at some point. And here's a list of things that I can take care of when I come back next time. Whoa, what did I just do? Not only did I let Mrs. Jones know about some of those things that I care about as a cleaner, right? I don't, tangent, sorry, parenthetic uh, discussion real quick. Ed York, who's one of the grandfathers of our industry, who's died, I don't know, eight years ago at this point. Um, he did a lot of business with the Japanese. And one of the big ways the Japanese were selling work, both commercial and residential, is they would hand them this kind of um, plexiglass strip. And on one side of it, it would be slightly translucent. It would have some sort of material on it that kind of made it darker. And the other side was completely transparent. And what they would do is they give that to their client and they would say, measure your carpet. And if your carpet starts to look more like the strip on the not painted side, call me because it's a matter of honor for me. You're my client. I will not let you have dirty carpet. And so that honor binding is a, was a huge way that Japanese carpet cleaners and um, janitorial services made their money because to them, it was important to them that the things that they were cleaning stayed clean. And so exactly the same thing here. So Mrs. Jones, look, I've got, um, I've got some things that you really need to take care of. I wouldn't feel good as a cleaner if I just left you and I did this part, but not that part. Um, here's some stuff that you may want to consider. You can call us back in a couple months. All right. Now I dropped a little repeat seed. And then I can take care of these things when I come back next time. So now it's not a seed. Now it's a foregone conclusion. I'm coming back next time. And these are the things I'll take care of when I do that. And so that really establishes you as their expert and their cleaner. And so using that kind of language and having that kind of discussion, being empathetic the entire time and not trying to oversell, just trying to communicate and educate. Um, that's imperative. So that those are ways that you can improve your invoice today, right now, start today, having conversations with Mrs. Jones, talking about some additional things that you'd like to see done. And then maybe some things that you'll note the account that you can do the next time you come out. Very nice. This one easily kind of segues into the next one. And that's um, 
kind of touched on a little bit, but the income by service, kind of knowing what your breakdown is. Yeah, as a KPI, you should know it, right? As a pie chart. So you have a pie chart, which represents 100% of your income. How much of that is from tile? How much of that is from carpet? How much of that is from protectant? Um, again, Service Monster makes this super easy. You can do some of this in QuickBooks as well if you're categorizing your um, charges correctly. Uh, there's a handful of ways. Of course, Excel Spreadsheet works as well. Here's an anecdotal story for you that will hit this home. Oh man, we were just getting started. We're maybe like two years in. And so I was doing all the sales, right? And I'm talking with this gentleman. And uh, and at the time, I would sign up their marketing consultation for 30 days later. And so when we had the conversation, he was a bit chauvinistic. Oh, I, I don't do that. That's woman's work. And he was talking about upholstery and drapery. I bring my wife in and she does that. I never touch that stuff. I hate doing that crap. Of course, I'm just like eyebrow raised. All right. Well, sure. You know, moving along, moving along. He buys six months. Uh, no, sorry. 30 days later, um, we're doing the marketing consult. And I noticed before I called him that freaking upholstery was 25% of his business. He had no idea. And so when I called him for his marketing consultation, I was like, so your wife seems to be killing it there. What do you, what do you mean? Like, uh, let me show you how much upholstery you're doing. And he wigged out and he just like, I'm sorry. And he got off the phone and I could hear him talking to his life and wife. And he's like, look at this, look at how much we do. Oh my God. And he came back. He's like, yeah, I'm going to have to start doing upholstery. <laughs> right. Just, he had no idea until he saw the number. He had no idea. It was such a big part of his business, even though he was only doing it rarely or sending his wife out to do those kind of jobs. So, um, it's important to know your breakdown because that's what your clients are telling you they're interested in. They're not interested in what the distributor is trying to sell you, or they may be. The distributor doesn't know though. Uh, they don't know like how much tile percentage wise is in your county um, or the demographic that you service. So if you have that pie chart and you can see movement, again, multiple metrics calculate the same way. The movement is what's important. It's like, wow, that tile and grout seems to be increasing. Like I'm doing 5% more this month than last month and 3% more than the month before that. Um, the clients are telling you something at scale that this is the service they're interested in. And so you need to be making sure that you're aligned. You've got the proper tools and education and training that your staff is trained, that everybody's talking about it to let them know the different products and services that you offer, especially the ones that you're interested in. So if you have that pie chart, and Mrs. Jones, and you see carpet, tile, and windows are your three top performers, not protectant, not prevac, not, you know, all that other stuff. Those are where you should be focusing your messaging. So in your marketing messaging, you should be focused on the things that your clients care about, not the things you want to do, not the things the distributor wants to sell you, but those individual items that your community is telling you they want. Absolutely. One quick thing I'll just add on here in case any of our service monster users are not doing this. Like Joe mentioned, there's an easy to read dashboard on the um, order section, which shows kind of the breakdown as far as the pie chart goes. There's also a report, it's called income by type. There's a detailed and a summary version of it, so you can kind of get both of those. But what's important is that when you're building your products and services, there is what we call a group and you're going to want to make sure that you group these items into certain categories because that's where this information is going to come from. So 
you have questions I mean, you can on certainly that. look at your entire price list and get the percentages right. off that but that doesn't tell you nearly as much as like here's these items in my price list that are all carpet cleaning right and then here's these items in my price list that are all tile or protectant or whatever and then you're reporting on those groups so it's, it's a much better metric absolutely so the next kpi is clients by lead source and this is actually something that i hit uh, when i was doing all my you know onboarding training uh, this is something that we talk about all the time because not everyone will be tracking their lead sources. So what are we talking about here, Joe? Oh, man. Um, so I don't want to go too, too deep, but I do want to hit a couple points. So obviously, where did you hear about us? Right? Asking that question, getting the client to tell you what prompted them to call that time. If you're doing it right, they've seen you in eight places. They saw you in the Little League sign. They got your email. They got your card. They got your thank you card. Um, they've seen your van around town. And so the real answer is much more insidious. It's top of mind brand awareness. If, if, if I had to select one lead campaign, one lead source, it's just top of mind brand awareness loft. That's it. Just constantly making your name synonymous with the products and services that you offer. That's perfection, right? And so again, the lead source indicator is not going to be perfect. There's all kinds of reasons why you can say, yeah, well, yeah, well, again, though, it's about measuring in the same way and then tracking change over time. And so clients by lead source, first of all, you don't want to have a null field there. You just don't. Service Monster, you can turn on and make people fill it out. You can also turn it off so you can just move about your business if you, if you don't happen to really harp on that question. Um, but tracking it at the account level is super important. Now, most CRM will allow you to track your lead source at the account level. They'll let you put in the name of a campaign and then select that from a dropdown. That's about as far as they go, though. For us, it's 50% of our application, right? So not only do you have campaigns and lead sources and email campaigns and call campaigns and direct mail campaigns and export campaigns for third-party vendors, but um, tracking that lead source ties into ROI and how much you've spent and like all kinds of really important metrics that can tell you, well, yeah, that campaign brought a lot of people in, but the repeat rate was kind of low and they were shitty um, upsellers. Like they, they just did the bare minimum. All right. Well, compared to my other customers that I really like who, you know, are always getting a couple add-ons and they're very pleasant to work with and uh, they do repeat well, where did they come from? So lead source can tell you a lot about where you're attracting clients from and maybe even should I pull a lead source because it's in an area that I'm getting a lot of attention that I don't want to get like from customers. I don't want to, you know, is your, is your messaging for that campaign off? And so tracking customers by lead sources is very important. We're the only CRM that I know of where we track lead source by the order as well. And so some people get confused by that. The first order that you do, if it's a, coming in from a lead, is typically going to have the same lead source as the account acquisition, granted. But what people make the mistake of doing is taking a lead source on an account and changing it the next time they come back. Because CM doesn't let them track the lead source of the order. It's so bad. It destroys the historical record of how that customer came to you in the first place. Don't do that. Don't do that. We import data all the time from other 
CRM. And I don't know how often we see this damn lead source. It says repeat, repeat, yep, repeat, 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 repeat. And what they're trying to say is, okay, I'm going to change the lead source to repeat. So I know they came back to me. Well, now you don't know where they came from originally and you don't know anything. Repeat doesn't mean anything. You know, they're repeat because they have two invoices. Stop doing that. Stop marking them as repeat. The best way, again, how Service Monster handles it is subsequent orders. You track the lead source from that order. You don't change the account. New orders get new lead sources. That way, not only do you know how your clients are acquiring your business, right? How are you acquiring that client? What channels are you using to get new clients? But what programs are working for client retention? So we go back to our first KPI, client retention. Oh, Mrs. Jones, so glad you called again. Wait, what prompted your call today? Oh, you know, I just got this dirty carpet I'm looking at. And I, you, you know, about a year ago you came by and, and you sent me a thank you card or two. And so I got this card on my refrigerator and, or the bottle of spotter or the magnet or whatever it is. They'll like, they'll, they'll mention something. You can even say, Hey, how'd you get my phone number this time? I was on my Rolodex or it was in, you know, on the thing that, that you left. Okay. Awesome. Mark that on the order level. Do not change the account lead source. And now you have metrics tracking where you're getting clients from and which campaigns are bringing clients back. Absolutely. The, um, the next one that we want to kind of cover average job time by order group. Yeah. So um, uh, this is a little service monster specific, so I'll try to obfuscate a little bit, but um, you can track the type of orders. Now you may have a, an order that has both tile and grout and carpet cleaning. So that does get a little weird, but it could be a general cleaning versus restoration, right? So you can create larger buckets that encompass multiple items most of the time. Um, and then breaking down how long you spend on them. So your average carpet cleaning takes two hours, your average uh, restoration takes you, you know, six days, like whatever the, the point is. Um, but just knowing how much time you spend on a job will help in the planning aspects. Um, they will help you understand your margins better, right? Because the longer time you spend, the more labor hours, the more labor hours, the higher cost. And as the more time you spend on something, the more the margin should be creeping up, right? A two hour job should have X number of margin. If you do a four hour job, you, it being, it's okay and acceptable make, to make the same margin. But you know, if you go for a two day project, those margins should not be the same as a two hour job. Um, so little things you want to play with there when you know how much time each one of those general groups is taking you. It can also sometimes work as a red flag if you you find, or you know, on the opposite of that, um, like if you have a kind of rock star employee who is doing their job properly, doing it more efficiently, maybe that's a signal. You know, maybe increase their commission, pay, anything like that. Use that as a carrot on a stick for the others. Or <laughs> do the Ross signal. Perot thing where you uh, <laughs> give top twenty five percent raise, you fire the bottom twenty five percent, and everyone in the middle gets the message. Yep. And, I'm not a big fan of that kind of hard love <laughs> stuff, but um, it does build a, a, a culture of, oh shit, I better get this stuff done. But then it, they cut corners and you can, you can start making arguments for if you really hammer it too hard. But 
yeah, no question. You'll, you'll, it's the outliers you're looking for, right? Like, wow, this job took twice as long as our average. Like what, what's going on? I'll have a discussion with the project manager or have a discussion with the uh, employees on the, on the site or, you know, wow, we just hired Jimmy. And uh, how come he's done in an hour for every time we hand a job to everybody else? They do it in two hours. Does he need training? Like it might not be because he's super awesome. It might be because he's missing a bunch of shit. And Mrs. Jones is going to call back and now your rework is higher. So, or it could be Jimmy's a, a rock star and all the rest of your people who have a conspiracy that they're just going to go slow. And if, as long as they all go slow together, then no one will notice. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm just making stuff up. I've never actually heard that. But, um, you know, if you have the data, then you can see the outliers and then you can go figure out what's going on. Same thing with what we do with performance and all that kind of stuff with our own KPIs. So. Absolutely. And the, the last one here, we're just talking about your sales pipeline. So what is the sales pipeline and why should you track that? Um, yeah, so you get a lead. Uh, hopefully a lead converts to either an over-the-phone estimate or an in-home estimate. And then that lead who turns into an estimate converts into work. And then that work converts into an invoice. That invoice converts to a payment. That payment converts then back to a rework going back down through the funnel again. So you have, you have what, this funnel, right? Orientation of my hands here. On the, so you have this funnel and at the top is the leads, right? And then you're going to drop a certain percentage of those when you do the estimate. You're going to drop a certain percentage of those when you actually go do the work. Hopefully the vast majority of the people you do work for, you get paid for. There'll be some outliers there. We got to go chase money around. Again, Service Monster makes that easy. Uh, QuickBooks can make that easy. Systems will make that easy. Um, and then after you do the job and you get paid, then you're looking to feed that funnel back in as new lead acquisition. So you have this nice life cycle of a client. Um, so that's generally the sales pipeline. If you know how many you're converting, first of all, if you know what your lead acquisition costs are, that's important. And how many of those are you converting to estimates and how many of those are you converting to orders or invoices? Um, and you know those percentages. Once you understand that about your business, then you can watch as you change things if you can make the needle move. Um, at the very least, if you can't make the needle move, but you just have a consistent like, you know, it's like, okay, I close 50% uh, of all leads um, and 80% of all of those leads that we close to estimates then convert to work orders. You can say, oh, look at what are we doing to convert such a high number of people? Like, that's good. And then if you have a period of time where it drops, you can go figure out why. If you have a change, make a change and things go up, then you know why. Uh, and so you can play with those gears and levers. And I've heard Josh Latimer talk about this. When you understand all these pieces, you have a lever. Like, okay, I know if I put in X number of dollars, I'm going to get X number of leads. And that X number of leads is going to convert to X number of estimates, which is going to convert to X number of invoices. And now it's just a money machine. You can put money in, goes to the top of the funnel, goes through the funnel, spits out money at the end. And as long as the money that's being spit out at your margin is higher than the amount you're putting in at your marketing costs, you win. You can do that all day long until you hit the cap, which folds back to your total market potential, right? Because you can't get more people than there are people. <laughs> so, um, so see how all this ties together, works together like a nice, neat little package. All these KPIs work together to give you a really good dashboard, if you will, of your plane, of your car of your business. 
So, in, and you can see the changes you're making, how they are being affected um, and how they are, they're, the outcome. Does it, does it generate more money at the end of the day? That's what we all really want to know. And there's actually uh, a new one that we implemented in 6.5, just a unique dashboard to the schedule um, that was kind of. Love it. Brandon Vaughn's big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out. I'm not speaking at it. No heart feelings or nothing. He tried to reach out to me at one point. It might've been that. And we just never connected, but he's got like a big, huge event, like 40 speakers and like just thousands of service professionals. So um, that's the um, AGS, right? What do they call it? What is that group? This is, this is the home services super summit. It's separate. It's separate, but it's Brandon's thing, and he's going to be selling the shit out of his services too, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but I, I just wanted to give a shout out to that because if you guys don't know about it, go hunt for it. It's on Facebook. You can go look up Brandon, give a shout out. Yeah. He'll give you a free ticket. It's all free. It's all virtual. Uh, they've got some pretty incredible speaker speakers. Um, Goober's there. Gerber's there from uh, Emith. Um, he's got the dude from the Pumpkin Plan, I think. Um, and then all of your people that you would think um you know should be a speaker or leader industry they're all there except for maybe two or three of them including myself i'm not there <laughs> but again brandon no no hurt feelings or nothing it's all good think about me so, next time, please so, um <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the uh, actual dashboard it kind of came from a conversation that you and brandon had um, from yeah from the joining the conquer group and it's showing kind of your your booked what percentage you are booked um, that month in the schedule. It also shows kind of the previous month um, and so on. So you can kind of tell, you know, how much have I missed from just missed appointments overall? How much have I actively, you know, booked? And let's say we're on like, you know, June 20th and I've got, you know, 10 days left. What's my potential? Kind of lighting that fire under your butt to see if I was to just, you know, book out the last 10 days, what would I get? So is there anything you kind of want to add on to that? No, I think you did a pretty good job. I'm mean, obviously the previous month is there's nothing bookable. It's all either lost opportunity or book jobs. Um, uh, this right. month has lost opportunity uh, in the form of the first to whatever day you're on a potential opportunity that is open schedule from today to the end of the month. And then the amount of book time. So you have red, white, and blue, right? White's available. Blue is booked and red is you've lost it. Um, time has gone by and you can't go fill those positions. And then it shows you next month's uh, booking, current booking capacity. The goal here is not 100% booking. Uh, it's going to be impossible. Um, the goal really is to establish a baseline. What is your normal? Oh, normally we book 50% or 60% of our schedule. Awesome. Then one month goes to 75 and you go, whoa, what? Why did it do that? And then, you know, Michael and I and Adam start tearing through stuff, tearing through data, looking through reports, trying to figure out the why. Why do we want to figure out the why, Michael? You've been kind of quiet, but why as marketers, would it be a good idea to know why an anomaly happened? Well, because if it's a good anomaly like that, you want to be able to repeat it. You want to be able to do it again. You want to know. And again, and again, and again, what, and again. Yeah, what, what changed? What, what caused this? You know, like, was it this campaign that I did? You know, that KPI is tracking you know, specifically your marketing campaigns. That's incredible to do because, you know, you, you see a spike in something, you're like, and well, what you did I do this? Happen to lose. What changed? And that's super valuable. Huh? Yeah. And, and if you happen to, um, my network may be lagging a little bit here. So yep. I don't know if 
that stutter was uh, just for me or what. But um, yeah, the, on, and I don't know if you said this during the timeout, but the the other flip side of that is if it's a bad KPI, understanding why it happened so you don't do it again, right? So good KPIs, do again. Bad KPIs, don't do again. Uh, but you have to understand the why, the reasoning. And sometimes it gets muddied. Sometimes there'll be multiple factors. And I always, you know, as an engineer, that's always problematic. I don't want to make five changes and then suddenly fix the problems. Like which one of the five changes I made did it fix the problem? Um, so, you know, there's a little bit of that. That's why Michael and I are kind of excited for the data that's coming out of COVID uh, from Service Monster, because it's, it's almost like old school science vacuums. You know, they run experiments inside two vacuum tubes so that they didn't have to deal with the rest of the crap in the atmosphere. Um, so you can just fill it with argon and then pump energy through it and see what happens. Um, and so this is kind of an interesting um, period of time where we have this isolated kind of situation where the data coming out of it has such a different vector that you can cross section that with normal and where they intersect is where the really interesting information is. And then, uh, cause then you can kind of peel all, away the, the onion and, and make those happen again. So, yeah. yeah. That's actually perfectly right into, I was going to mention your, uh, your new public dashboard kind of project you're working on. Cause like our last podcast, we talked about the uh, month of March, the numbers, the cleaning industry numbers, number of jobs overall. Um, and we're going to be releasing more data soon for April and May. But it's kind of sparked this whole project. If you want to briefly touch on that, Joe, I think it's pretty cool. Um, something people can look forward to. Yeah. So, and I don't know why it took me so long to realize this, but um, about once a year, we do a kind of a benchmark survey where we query our metadata, um, Service Monsters data, the 500 million invoices, we, uh, $500 million in invoices, 1.2 million jobs we process a year. Um, and it's hard to put that data together. And so it takes David or myself at least a day or two to crunch the data. And then it takes someone else a couple hours at least to kind of massage it, to get it into a format or a sh what we call a shape <clears throat> um, that then is consumable on the output. So the web page that you guys look at or the map that has all the averages across it or the colors or whatever. That's a very time consuming process. And, and we've always wanted to do more of that because not only does it spark amazing conversation, it draws attention to Service Monster, which is good as a business owner, um, but they're just really good conversations knowing where you're at compared to other people. It's like, are you killing it? Are you think you're killing it, but you're kind of average? Um, you know, are you think you're average, but actually you're not, you're not doing well at all? by comparison it's like my area doesn't allow for it well yeah okay south dakota and north dakota are radically different places you might have a case if you're comparing your south dakota numbers against your north dakota numbers but if you're comparing your north dakota numbers against your north component north uh numbers then you don't have anything to talk about um obviously you can say well my county but then you start really making excuses, right? So you're not being stoic or existentialist there. You're just being a victim. Stop it with the victim mentality and, and look at the things that you can control and change. Um, so yeah, it's um, what I really wanted to do is give you guys this information on a more regular basis and not take my resource uh, pool days to produce this. And it, sometimes it just takes my drive to make it happen too, which... You know, if I'm working on 
depending on what I'm working on, because my job is not always to work on the uh, the th- my task list, right? So what we're doing is we're putting together a single page that'll sit in our blog that'll be open to everybody, where it has some very high level, not a lot, but a couple like job percentage growth, um, month over month for the year, um, average invoice broken down by state, um, income change up or down, uh, for that same time period from this time last year. Um, I think I have like four or five of them identified. So not a lot, not very deep. We're not going to go into service breakdown or pursue, you know, average repeat rates and that kind of stuff at the moment. Um, and I don't know if I ever will go down that low by service monster and then you'll have more of that data. But, um, I think it's just a good thing to kind of ground the conversation around and it'll be live. So once we're done, it'll just be like service monster, just serving up a open page inside of our um, blog or in, in the brochure site itself, which gives you access to this information and you can look at your state and so forth. So I don't know why it's taken me so long to realize we needed to build a single dashboard to do this, but that's where we're at. And I started that project a couple of days ago. So it, it's going to take me a while. It's kind of a side project. I'm doing it two in the morning, but um, it's not that complex. So as little time and as, as sleepless nights as I'm going to be spending on it, it sh- still shouldn't take any longer than a month or so. So it's kind cool. of where we're at with that. Nice. There's one kind of quick thing that I wanted to, you were talking about, um, you know, when you have five fixes and you're not really sure which one uh, solved the issue, it's kind of the, the same kind of vein where when something massive like this happens with COVID-19, everyone knew that the numbers were going to be different, right? It didn't know how different, obviously it's going to be, you know, broken down by state region and so on. Um, but I think it's, it's a really easy kind of mindset when something like that happens and you expect bad data or good data or whatever, you don't dive deeper and yep. you just kind of, like you said, like it's just confirmation hey, bias. Yeah, exactly. You have a confirmation bias around that negative output and you don't actually see if there's anything else you could have done to improve or, or so on. So it's kind of something to be aware of when you guys are kind of looking at stuff like that. I mean, constantly be working to improve, right? So I think with that, we've definitely been chatting on that for it's a while. An hour. Just an hour on KPIs. Really, really good stuff in there. I think I hope you guys kind of pulled something um, valuable out of that for you and your teams. Yeah. Um, we can just kind of segue into some service monster news. Um, I'll go through this a little bit uh, kind of quickly because we have been talking about this uh, a little bit on the last couple of podcasts. Before we, before we segue off, though, I just want to point out again, this information is available on our blog. Yep. Um, it's an older I'll blog post, post, but all the data is there, and Michael will publish a link in the show notes. So if you're interested in that. Also, because we're on an hour, so we're probably going to be at least another half an hour with the stuff that else we're going to talk about. on. YouTube. So if you're watching us on YouTube, go to the, go to the section where we describe things and put links and stuff. There is an index system there that, that Michael spends a lot of time on to make sure that you can jump to, to the things that you care about. That's and so, Justin, not me. Actually. Oh, Justin. Sorry. Give Justin sorry I'm giving, credit. giving no, Justin I'm credit, credit here. Yeah. You should just yeah. been quiet. Justin can't talk for himself. Yeah, he's that's, on a camera. Stand so. up for him. <laughs> yeah. So no, no he that's did, good, he does a good great job with that. Yeah, totally. It's not easy to, to find all those points. So, um, yep. if, if you find yourself like, oh man, I've listened to Joe talk about repeat rates for freaking six years, like you can go there and you can bounce around at the sections yep. that are mo- now you're going to miss some of the nuggets because we don't index everything. 
Um, and occasionally we'll do something where it's like same, 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 same. Oh, whole brand new. And it's like, ah, oh, that was an amazing point. So you'll miss those opportunities, but you can use that indexing system to bounce around. All right. What now about Service Monster? Would we like to discuss some some Service Monster news? So um, we've been talking about release six point five point one. We're actually going to break it up into two releases, and we'll talk a little bit more why we're doing that here in just a few minutes. Um, but the first thing we're going to be kind of releasing are something that you yourself are working on, Joe. Um, both kind of the server request caching, and then Service Monster six client caching, and kind of improving some of these these uh, queries and such that were you know the account page was a big one that you found when you were working on another feature where you know some calls are being sent out and maybe don't necessarily have to be sent out and um do you want to kind of maybe just talk about that a little bit without going too high level yeah I mean, without going too deep um yeah. yeah i don't want to dive into all the technical stuff um We have 20, the number's 21, 21 users, um, but then it starts to get gray latency. So you can go up to 35 or 40 customers that are experiencing some sort of problematic latency. Um, not where the, you know, the request came back in five seconds instead of three or two, um, but they're seeing like 20 second. And sometimes poor Mary Lynn was timing out yesterday a couple of times. And it's to a, such a small section. I mean, it's such a small portion of our total client database. But to me, just like the Japanese carpet cleaner and what we were talking about before, it's it's a badge of honor. Like all the stuff that I usually create is fast. And so we have this huge application now, a couple million lines of code um, processing through tons of data points with thousands of clients and you know tens of thousands of users. And what we see is there's a few clients that have some of these problems and it drives me nuts. And so we've come up with an 11 step plan to try to eliminate them, to try to make them in line with everybody else that's using the system. And as we do that, everyone else is going to benefit from the performance as well. So I won't go through all 11 steps, but step one, which was moving um, our database servers to a larger instance on the VM. Um, so bigger machines, more power. So we, we threw some, some money at it. That was number one. Um, that solves Monday morning blues problems when everyone comes in on Monday at nine o'clock. Uh, that's, you know, obviously East Coast to West Coast, but at nine o'clock is kind of peak performance for us. So that flattens that curve. So we, we didn't see any um, craziness with Monday morning blues this last Monday, the previous Tuesday and the previous Monday we did for different reasons, but those have been resolved. Uh, step two is some indexing stuff. It's just the way it's just like sounds it's like a book has an index in the back. It makes it easier to find the data. Same thing with databases. We put some more indexes on. Um, so that helped a little bit as well. Step three and step four, I've already finished coding wise, which is what Adam's talking about, which will be in the release for the first part of 6.5.1. Um, the client side caching is going to be opt in to start with, and it's kind of hidden. So pay attention if you want to try it out. Um, Adam saw it for the first time this week, I think, or last week, and it's just hauls ass. And it's just like, cause it doesn't go to the server, but it does go to the server when you have to do an update or you do, you know, that kind of stuff. So it doesn't get stale. The info doesn't get too stale and we only keep it around for a few minutes anyways, but the performance improvements are just undeniable. 
You have to go to the support page though and turn that on. Uh, so when that release comes out, you want to see that. The server-side caching that will accompany that, that's just going to be on all the time and should also do a significant amount of reducing our network traffic and how many times we're going to the database to make requests. I feel like I'm just at the surface, but I also feel like I might be going a little too low. So I don't know how to go any higher and not be a little meta message. So forgive me. Um, that's step three and four. And then we have five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. And there's a handful of things there going from our deployment strategy, making sure that um, things happen automatically. So if a machine goes down, the system knows we can bring one up without intervention, um, new monitoring tools so we can see well ahead of time, even if it's only two customers are having an issue, we get an alarm and alert uh, that'll make that happen, uh, logging and transactions. Um, and again, query performance and analyzing and tuning all that stuff. So the end result here is that the vast majority of our clients who aren't really experiencing any problems are going to get faster. And the few customers that we have that have, have massive latency should be d directly in line with everybody else when we're done. I wouldn't have been able to do this, though, without Aaron's rebuild on the schedule, because before we even started talking about performance improvement, we knew the biggest performance problem was how the schedule was drawing. And so that is the V1 schedule. It's rendering. That's what we call drawing on the computer. It's rendering engine was super slow for large companies. So if you have you know, more than 20 routes, even if the data was coming back in 500 milliseconds, which it does, uh, it took an additional 20 seconds to draw the damn thing on the screen. Aaron's rework, which took a better part of eight months on creating a brand new schedule, lightning fast. Those redraws are are within a few seconds by the same token. So, so the data still comes back 500 milliseconds, then you got a two or three second redraw time for those really large companies. That's where we want things to be for everybody. So if you're one of those 20 companies or so, and, and, uh, you know, Joel and Jason and Marilyn and <laughs> the, that group, um, obviously we've talked to you guys about, it, so you know, we're working on it, but if you're silent and you're one of the 21, know that we are working on it and it pains me and it's keeping me up at night. Like I've gotten three hours of sleep in the past two days just for these small amount of customers because I'm building dashboards and performance monitors and alert systems. So that's the kind of my two o'clock in the morning project right now. Yeah, that's actually going to segue into the Entree Joe kind of um, statement that we have here. But before we do that, I also do want to kind of just quickly update you guys. Um, there was a small hotfix that went out on desktop. One of the things that we did was we added a um, on the web config, we made it so that we could actually adjust on the fly kind of what uh, um, level of a, a server request. Like it was at 10 seconds, I believe, originally. It was just kind of hard coded in there, Joe, if that's right. So any request that was longer than that, we would get automatically flagged, but we adjusted that so we can go really deep into that. Any you know, request over one second, two seconds, three seconds, whatever. So that was one of the main things that we kind of put out as a hotfix. You guys can see that we have all release notes out right on the, uh, the blog post. More importantly, I know that a lot of users are chomping at the bit for the update on mobile. And we had a little bit of a snag on the... Um, date time picker. When we upgraded the uh, the framework of React Native, the old date and time picker, um, the library that we pulled that from was no longer usable. 
And so Ethan's been painstakingly working on that, and he and, and our QA team, Greg, have been kind of going back and forth on that. And um, they're close, but uh, I don't have a set date in particular, especially because we still have to go through the um, the verification process through um, Apple and and Google. Um, we're really hoping by the time this podcast is released to you all that it will be out or on the very near cusp because I know everyone's chomping a bit for that. We've talked about what's in it. If you guys are curious, you can watch one of the other podcasts because we definitely went deep on some of those. So so with that, um, as far as the Entree Joe statement, um, since you're the one who pulled that out, Michael, you want to you give that a yeah. go? Yeah. Um, this one was really good. And this is perfect. Like you mentioned earlier, Adam, actually, this is perfect regarding um, what you were just talking about, Joe. Um, this, the quote is, uh, as an entrepreneur, your job is to conquer the most difficult challenges facing the company. They have the largest impact and they are always the highest priority. You must also trailblaze, lead and inspire. You are a problem solver. Leave your own problems at the door. Do you want to briefly touch on where you were at, I guess, when you, when you wrote that? Cause that's, that's very timely, I think for, for what you were talking about with how, how invested you've been in this. Um, project helping out the the slowness. Yeah, you can break that post into kind of two parts, right? The very end is um, too many entrepreneurs, business owners, leaders take the chip on their shoulder with them. Um, how many times have you guys noticed? that my personal life interferes with the business or even know what's going on in my personal life that's adversely affecting me at the time. You think of anything? I'll talk about things after the fact, right? Like the water situation or or, the trouble with our son or whatever. But during it, I mean, I'm just all about stoic, just moving forward and making sure that things are, and when I'm focused on the business, I'm focused on the business, not the problems that I have, not the fight with the wife, not the, you know, whatever, whatever it is, uh, angry about the, the COVID or whatever it is. Again, it's that introspective nature to pull yourself out of yourself and then go serve a purpose and a mission and leave that baggage down for a minute. So that, a lot of times it's the end of my posts that will, you know, attempt the mic drop and also push the most pointed point. The rest of that message is is as equally true. And again, very um, reminiscent of what's going on with, with me personally right now, which is I have a list of shit that I want to do. <laughs> Um, you know, Adam's got some stuff in tracker for me. Eric wants me to do a handful of things. I'm helping David out. I'm helping the engineers. I'm overseeing, you know, just a lot of stuff on my list that needs to get done. And as soon as the sluggish performance things started happening, that all went out the window. So nothing that I am doing right now should be affecting right now. Right. My, my goal is the things that I'm doing right now affect next quarter. So that when the company shows up to next quarter, everybody knows what the hell's going on, what we're supposed to be doing, what our true north is. If I'm always with the company doing my tasks and not paying attention to the bigger issues, then when we show up next quarter together, we're all going to be freaking lost. (laughs) 
Like, what do we do now? Like, what's going on here? And how come we didn't take care of that last week? I mean, I had built the server side and client side caching performance before the first uh, Monday morning blues that happened two weeks ago. And so when we're like, okay, we need to do a project that's focused on performance. I already had stuff in the code base that was ready to roll out for Adam to push because I had bent my time to focus on what was important then for the future. And so some, some of you paying really close attention now might be a little confused because I, I did two conflicting things. I want to I untangle it. I say that your priority is the most important thing right now, but then I also say you're working on the things that will be ready for next quarter. They're the same. If you have all of your employees drop everything to go chase the fire, then they're not going to be doing the work that actually needs to get done. And so you need to be able to drop to put out the fire so that the fire isn't a complete five alarm fire next month, right? So you're putting those things out so that when the whole company shows up next month, it's not on fire, uh, ideally. So if you're pushing the one and that's all you're doing as, as a single owner operator and your, your goal is to get off the truck, you need to start edging your way to that mentality of working on the things that are going to set your business up for next quarter. Unfortunately, that means you're going to need to be a couple people. But as you get more people, and, and I went through this too, right? When it was just Eric and Dave and I in the office and cranking things out and I was writing code and I was doing the selling and Eric was doing the training and David's pretty much doing the same thing he was doing back then. Huh. <laughs> um, it's, it's important as you build some depth in your company that you move into more purposeful roles. And at this point now with 20 people, it would be easy for me to dis, I mean, I did it what a couple of years ago when I had pneumonia, right? I, I, I was on the heels of a vacation too. So I was gone for like six weeks. Nobody noticed. Like, you know, there was like a, oh, you know, Joe could help me solve that, but eh, I'll do it on my own. Or, you know, hey, let's get a team together. And what would Joe do? And like, there might've been that kind of stuff, but everything happened seamlessly. You guys were amazing and didn't require my freaking help at all. That's a, the perfect point of a business order to get to where the business doesn't need you and you can just walk away. I don't think it's fully at that point yet. I think we've had some backslide in the past year or two, um, but that's where we're all headed. And so making sure you're paying attention to that. And, and again, it's about introspection and it's about vision. Where do you see the company next month? That should be different. That should be a different place than it is right now. And if you're, if you're like, ah, I don't know how it'd be different the next month. What can I do? Start thinking like at all hours of the day, at all things you do, you're pushing that one. You're thinking about how the business can be different next month. What things can you do to prepare so that when the company shows up next month, you're further ahead, not in the same spot. It doesn't matter if you walk, run or crawl, move forward is the key. And if you're not moving forward, just like you are in your own life, you don't have the introspection like we talked about last week to try to make the stronger version of yourself, then you're going to be the same version of yourself. And that's, that's, that's what a waste of time. What a waste of, of beauty, brilliance, strength. It, it's just pouring it on the floor. It's just, it's the number one driver for me to a detriment. I will say like my ambition juice is way too high. Um, I'm always looking to be way smarter today than I was yesterday. 
Um, and I try to surround myself with people who have that same mentality, uh, too. So we build a really good company, but I have to be constantly on lookout for the next, next thing. Where are we going to be? Where are we positioning the company? Um, and how can we then put path, a path in place, stepping stones so that everyone can come there together? Um, I do this probably a little more than, more than I should. I don't know if that's the right term. I'm going to do it as much as I do it. And that's what weaves in the fabric of the company. We change rapidly. Like Service Monster is the most volatile environment for change um, that I've certainly ever worked in. Um, And I think that the people that we attract enjoy that kind of. Adam likes to, maybe he's a little bit more on the, Eric too. Eric even way more than Adam. A little bit more on the conservative. Like, ah, ah, ah. Like, okay, change is good. That change is good. But it was a little bit uncomfortable there, but we need that in the product manager, right? So he's like, hey, slow the roll. Let's make sure we get this thing tested and we understand what we're doing before we just like code something out like crazy and push it out. Which, you know, I win 70% of the time when I do that. But there's that 30% of the time when nobody cares or it doesn't work right. So not buggy though. I don't write buggy code. That's other people. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of where I was at with that whole thing staying ahead, being the visionary. And then when problems happen, you've got to be the one to grab it, take the horns and, and, and provide the direction. If you have a project manager, um, they can certainly help with that, which is the equivalent we have of our product management here with, with Adam. He certainly helps uh, that a lot because we've got the resources that are development. And then we've got me, which is trying to pull everybody forward. And sometimes they're like, they don't want to go forward yet. They got to finish where they're at. So that, that push and pull is, um, is important. You can't just be all pull and you can't just all sit around. So that's what you get as an individual. So you, you bring in people that will help you either push you forward or will attach an anchor to you to keep you from going too hard, too fast. The old ball and chain over here. That's me. Well, I call Eric <laughs> my pessimistic accountant, right? So, um, you're just a mini version of that for the product, which right. I appreciate. And, um, yeah, I, I just, it's, it's exactly where it, where it needs to be as far as I'm concerned, but. Oh, I definitely appreciate that, Joe. Um, this is kind of moving to smug the main, one of the main topics we've already discussed and Joe had a, a video kind of selfie post. Um, I think it was like five or six minutes. The one that you put on smug there, it kind of just detailed everything that we've talked about with the, uh, server upgrades and, and, and slowness issues you guys have been experiencing. So um, we've already covered that, um, but just kind of, you know, reinforcing that that is a major thing that we're, we're working on. We, we want you guys to have the best experience possible. So and I want to ground this too, because, you know, we have a tendency to do this, which is focus on the thing that we're focused on. Our average return response time is 200 milliseconds. At 50% of our executions happen in under 100 milliseconds. And you can open up debugger and go look at this and look at all the network traffic. So take, take our, oh, it's slow with a grain of salt. Now, the people who are getting the 20-second load times, that's not a grain of salt. That's super freaking frustrating. Um, so I get it. And that's why we are working on it. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? 99% of our, all of our clients are getting 200 millisecond response times. And it just takes a couple seconds to draw on the screen at most. So they're flying. When I go into customer databases, most of the time I'm flying. Click, 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 click. 
So that was actually one of the reasons why we had such a hard time kind of pinning this down because when we're going through, I'm just like, what are you talking about? Everything's fine. Yeah. And then, you know, that's when we start to find some of these, these, uh, problem more hidden issues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one thing I wanted to um, discuss really, really quickly, there was a post from Corey. Um, and while he was kind of talking about the, on the schedule, which phone number should show up on the kind of the hover pop-up that you guys see there. Um, on, yeah, on the appointment hover. Yep. I had uh, kind of made a, a post on there, just kind of wanting to gather some feedback from Corey and from the others that were on the post. Um, just what number is most important to them? You know, commercial versus residential. Does it change? Does it matter? And so on. And, and Corey was the only one who responded. And I just kind of wanted to kind of mention that if any of you guys see something like that, where there's a little bit of discussion going on and it's uh, a topic that maybe interests you a little bit, or maybe it's a kind of a minor thing, it's a great time to throw your kind of hat on that and just, you know, give us your reasoning and, you know, everything that you guys do in smug is something that we, you know, we do listen to that. And so if you want to be part of the change, um, then that's kind of a great way to discuss. doesn't mean that every single thing you guys mention is what's going to be implemented. It's just that we, we do take that into consideration. So, yeah, let me take a second just real quick and talk about smug etiquette. Um, just because I don't think we, we touch on that enough, what it is and what it isn't. Smug is not a support channel. It is not the place you go to get support. If you need something, then call support or email support or chat support. If you want to make us aware of something, that's where you go for Smug. Smug is a user group. Um, I want the conversations primarily to be facilitated by users. How do you do this? How do you do that? Does anyone have content or ideas or how do you tackle that? It's really uh, your 500 of your closest service provider friends who have no judgment. And again, I don't put up with any kind of um, personal attacks, ad hominem, logical fallacy, just eliminate it. I just eliminate it. It's not in my playground. I also usually don't censor, although I will kick and ban and block, uh, not block. I will kick and ban and um, uh, delete posts occasionally. I think I've done three in the five years we've been doing smug. So it's very rare because most people are very well behaved. And even when people are frustrated, most of the time, they're able to communicate their issue, their frustration um, in a way that's still respectful. You come in, though, and you're negative and you're throwing out ad hominem. I get that you're frustrated. Sometimes this stuff can be super frustrating. I, I empathize with that. Um, but when you leave a post, it's just all, that stupid thing, I hate it again and again and again. Like, okay, I get the frustration, but that is not helpful nor useful, and I will delete it. Um, if you come in and say, frustrated, use the word, um, when is this going to be addressed? Or do I, if you know the data and you're just pointing it out, it's not, it's not useful. Be of help and use on Smug. I want to see that more. Um, more participation, more people who are lurkers that are just helping facilitate the conversation and getting their opinions across, but do it respectfully to everyone involved. Um, don't make personal attacks and show enough self-control to leave 
a very um a very good and productive comment or post a couple of people do this fairly well paul johnston comes to mind right when he has an issue he will hammer on it or he'll send us long um documents which help us uncover things he's obviously frustrated and he's and he's um but i also see the restraint and i see the maturity communicating the fact that he's frustrated but at the same time providing some information that will help us get through it you know yelling screaming and cussing that it's broke doesn't help anything because we can't fix it's broke because it's not broke for anyone else but you or maybe five people or maybe there is a systemic issue and we're not aware of it yet um or we're working on it so come in with respect but come in participate um and so i hope that a helps alleviate some people like because they're you know in other groups they won't they'll lurk but they won't make posts because there's so many people and they're just asshats so we don't put up with it in smug um, but I am also want to make sure that you guys are being mature about this. I, again, I get that some of you get frustrated sometimes and, um, but this is like the chip on your shoulder or leaving that baggage at the door. It's the same thing, your company, if you're, if you're coming hard at us for a, what most of the time turns out to be a user issue or a small issue, um, I can't even imagine what your employees have to deal with. So again, introspection, right? Um, just show a level of restraint and maturity and smug but participate more than you might in other groups. That would be, uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Can we take that feedback to heart? It gets all logged in tracker. It really does. If it comes with a bunch of, you know, um, bullshit, then it doesn't get logged in tracker. I'll tell you that gets ignored. So some advice, just some advice on how to actually communicate. Like, are you soft? You know, are you a volleyball to the face? right? Waiting for your turn to talk. Don't care about what the response is. Just want to make your point. Or are you trying to educate and get educated? There's a, there's a big difference in the communication method there. Yeah, that's great to go over kind of um, the, the, the intent of smug that we have. Um, and to wrap it up, the last thing we have, um, Robert actually asked in smug, is FMS retired for good? The answer is no. But Joe, um, just to just to kind of give give the overview real quick of, of what our process is and kind of actually by the time this is out, FMS may be back up and running. So what's the yeah. what's, what's it looking like? So Whatcom County in Washington State submitted a reopen request for phase two yesterday or day before yesterday. Um, and we should be knowing in a couple of days whether or not they're going to approve that. Phase two is where Fill My Schedule comes back. It's light industrial. Um so the the group is already working hard to make everything as smooth as possible. Alex, our Fill My Schedule manager, was playing a support role until Fill My Schedule came back. Uh, Eric, our COO, is going to be working with him to stuff cards and stamp and seal and print. Um, obviously, we're going to be hiring a couple people, which is going to get uh, weird and awkward right now. Um, so I'm not sure how that's all going to play out. And I don't want to print 50,000 cards on the sixth of every month is this is not attainable. Um, so yes, fill my schedule is coming back. Yes, it will be very soon. Maybe even already out by the time you're listening to this, it coming back online will be a first come first serve basis. So look for the posts, look for the emails, 
saying, hey, fill my schedules, opening back up, get in line. And you click a link and it'll take you to a form and you'll need to fill out that form. Now, here's a secret. So all you podcast and YouTube people, like here's where it pays off. If you want fill my schedule in your client's hands as quick as possible, submit one request and say, I don't need any changes. I just want to turn it back on as it was and move forward. Now, I know what's in your head, but Joe, what about all those people that didn't get contact for the last six to eight weeks? And what about I want to do a campaign that says we're open for business to let all my clients know? Both good ideas, both good thoughts. But anybody who is requesting changes to their campaigns or an additional one-shot campaign gets put in a slow lane because I have to pull resources. We got to do queries. We got to inject it in the system on top of people turning on their regularly scheduled programs and a reduced work staff. Okay. So the reality is if you want to get cards into your client's hands as quickly as possible, submit the form the first time saying no changes, get me up and running. There is one exception to that rule. We will change the front of your card upon request without putting you in the slow lane because we have one new, it's kind of boring, but it makes, it works. It's an image and it says we're open for business. So it lets your clients know if like you wanted to switch just for this one time, this one month, or you're sending out a yes, we're open for business card, uh, we could do that. So that's the one caveat. All the other, like I want to send out uh, to X list, I want to catch up on the last eight weeks, I need changes to my campaign inside, you know, the document or whatever. Those are all going to go in the slow lane. So don't tie them together. Submit two requests would be my guess. would be my advice. Submit the first request that says, turn me on and let's go. Let's go. And then the second you do it again, you hit submit and then you go back and you click on the link, you go back to the form, make sure it's blank and then fill it out again making the specific requests, knowing that those are going to take a while. I'm going to have to throttle this because I could, you know, on the first day, I could easily have 10 to 20,000 cards to print tomorrow. And that's just going to be impossible to ship out that way. So we're going to trickle it in every day, every day, a couple thousand a day, moving forward um, until everybody's back on or everybody who wants to be back on is back on. So couple little uh, things there. Um, that's interesting. The webinar is going to end in four minutes, but then the clock stopped. Did you do something, yeah. Adam? Okay, uh, thank you. I, <laughs> um, I was trying to make that time. Um, so so a little, little advice there. If you want to get cards back in your client's hands as quickly as possible, submit two requests. One saying, just get them going. And the other one saying, here's some changes I'd like to make. And then we'll get to those eventually. That's it. Man, that's hour and 35 minutes. Anything else you have, Mr. Adam? Uh, no, I think uh, we've definitely talked about plenty today. So I, I, I have one little minor kind of silly thing. Uh, <laughs> it's real. <laughs> and it's so quite we, a bit back. We so always I, joke about this when, when Joe gets started. Um, First, I have a green screen bookcase. 
I thought it was uh, uh, when we initially discussed this. I swear something came up that there was a green screen that Joe had pulled up, and so I was like, "Wow, it really looks like a like a bookcase." And so I've actually had DMs about it and being like, "What?" I'm like, no, it's real. And not only that, but it's like way back there too. Like I can't even reach it if I have my headphones on. Looks a lot closer that, than it is. That's crazy to me. So it looks weird. so much closer. <laughs> and yes, I, I we have tons, and this is just three bookshelves, like. Just in this room alone, there's one, two, three, four, five more bookshelves. Wow. <laughs> no, we like books. Homeschool family. But <laughs> right. I digress. Thank you so much for your attention, everybody. And I, uh, I hope you guys are ready because we're about to open up. I know a lot of you haven't been um, that affected. And some of you are even doing better. We talk about that failure to service. I'm seeing it. Got a post today from someone like, I need to hire five people. What do I do? And I'm like, um, you do never mind. <laughs> it's just tough. So uh, so be prepared for that, guys. It's coming. We're we're almost done here. We got to get through these protests, obviously, and then through this reopening, and then watch the numbers. Like I said, I'll carry a clipboard around to see what the reinfection looks like. But uh it's coming, guys. It's coming quick. So be prepared. And again. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for your support. Thank you for all of the conversations that we have. Until next time. Thanks, guys. Take care.